0: You're listening to episode number 32 of Strike the Match. In this episode, I talk about my latest book, Apostolic Church Planting, Birthing New Churches from New Believers. So with that in mind, let's... Welcome to Strike the Match with Pastor and Missiologist, Dr. J.D. Strike the Match is a podcast that addresses matters related to missions, innovation, and leadership. Now here's J.D. As always, thank you so very much for checking out Strike the Match. It is great to be back with you once again this week. Uh, this is episode 32. This is actually the last episode of season one of Strike the Match. And so uh, we'll be taking off some time uh, between season one and season two. And Lord willing, we'll be back. Uh, next season with uh, more episodes. And so in this episode today, I wanted to wrap up uh, this first season talking about uh, my next book that is scheduled to be released within the next few weeks, and that is the book Apostolic Church Planting, Birthing New Churches from New Believers with InterVarsity Press. And so with that in mind, I'm going to give uh, give you folks a glimpse of the contents of this book. Uh, if you are familiar with my book uh, Discovering Church Planting, uh, this book is uh, obviously a continuation of that book. In other words, it complements uh, Discovering Church Planting. It is a standalone book uh, in and of itself. Uh, there um There is a great deal of new content in apostolic church planting that uh, I was unable to include in Discovering Church Planting at the time. Uh, Some of the content uh, I was just unable to include because of 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 obviously uh, writing limits on a particular uh, on that particular project. Uh, But some of these uh, contents, or some excuse me, some of the new content that uh, is in apostolic church planting is uh, related to uh, matters that have developed uh, and clarified within my mind and within my heart over, over the past uh, few years since uh, Discovering Church Planting was released. And so uh, I think this book is more practical in its orientation. In it, I, I uh, throughout the book, I raise a lot of questions and, a- and answer those questions. And uh, this book uh, contains... Uh, my understanding of the church multiplication cycle, uh, along with uh, a variety of other uh, matters uh, that uh, the team goes through in that process uh, before they enter the field to the time that they leave. And so uh, I hope you get a chance to check out uh, Apostolic Church Planning. So let me go ahead and jump in and uh, begin to share uh, with you uh, a little bit behind uh, this, uh, this book so, when we begin to look at the world around us today, and some of this information that I'm sharing with you on the world around us today, you've heard me say before uh, on this podcast, uh, when we begin to look at the world around us today, at some of the realities, uh, we, we see that there is still a great deal of lostness in the world uh, today. Of the 11,000 people groups in the world, uh, over 6,000 people groups still Uh, have not been reached with the gospel, Uh, over 3,000 of those uh, 6,000 people groups uh, are in a category called unengaged, unreached, meaning no evangelical church planting strategy is being carried out among them. Uh, When we get closer to home here in uh, North America, we we find out that uh, the United States, uh, about 74 percent of the United States, has no relationship with Christ, 80% of Canada, no relationship with Christ in general. Uh, you begin to get even more specific on the people group level, and you see things such as uh, there's an estimated 360 unreached people groups living in the United States and an estimated 180 uh, people groups living in Canada. And, and I, those are estimations based on uh, the information that uh, we, we have at present, but I think that as we are conducting research on these two countries and the people groups that are living within their borders. I think those, those numbers will grow, go, go up uh, a great deal in days to come. When you begin to look at all of that, uh, you find out, as you've heard me share on this podcast before, that uh, among the countries of the world, uh, the United States uh, is the third largest when it comes to uh, the, the, the number of unreached people groups. We have the third largest number of unreached people groups uh, living uh, within the United States, when compared to uh, other countries across the world, with their numbers of unreached people groups, and Canada actually comes in at number five on that list. So, so when we begin to look across the world, I mean, even within the, the top five uh, countries in the world for the largest number of unreached people groups, two of those countries are uh, found in North America. So, I I, I kind of put that out there at the beginning of this to say that the lostness is great. Uh, the uh, the need to engage engage these realities live among us in the world today, uh, the need to to engage them at, at a level that we that we uh, uh, are not engaging them at, uh, particularly within a North American context, specifically within the United States, uh, the need for us to engage at a different in a different way at a different level is extremely critical. And I really and truly believe that we have made this thing called church planting much more complex, much more complicated than what it is in the New Testament. And uh, when we begin to look at what we see in the New Testament, the, the approach that uh, we find is, is, is an apostolic approach, and it is something that's not as complicated. It's something that's not as complex as we have made it out to be. And so uh, I kind of begin by, by just asking you, you know, what is church planting? And uh, the way you, you answer that question obviously is going to impact what you're doing on the field. But in order to answer that question, you have to ask another question, and that is, what is, what is a church? Uh, because you can't, you can't talk about church planting, talk about planting something, if you don't know what you're talking about planting. And so, so the issue of ecclesiology— the issue of ecclesiology in church planting is the most critical issue I believe uh, in church planting today. Uh, how you answer the question "What is a church?" will affect everything that you do in church planting. It will affect your methodology. It will affect your strategy. Uh, it will affect your resources. It will affect uh, the team. It'll it will affect who can be involved in in this ministry. And so, ecclesiology is is extremely extremely important. So, for me, when it comes to uh, church planning and defining what church planning is. For me, the definition is that church planning, biblical church planning, is evangelism that results in new churches. It's evangelism that results in new churches. Or if you want to want to say it from, in a different way, uh, disciple-making that results in new churches. Of course, we all know that disciple-making begins with evangelism. Uh, you cannot make a disciple until you have called someone to repentance and faith in Christ. And so when you begin to look around today, particularly in the North American context, uh, where do churches come from when it comes to church planting? And, and the reality is, is that most of the churches are not coming out of the harvest. Most of our churches are coming about as a result of transfer growth church planting. They're coming about as a result of the shuffling of the sheep around uh, in the kingdom and uh, starting instant churches with long-term kingdom citizens. Now, I'm not saying that that's a bad thing. I've been a part of that, and, uh, and, and, and that's not necessarily something that is that is wrong. However, uh, it does not have a, a, a strong biblical foundation. Uh, in fact, uh, we're hard pressed to find uh, biblical support for the way that we mainly think about church planning and do church planning in the West today. That is, first, find a pastor, uh, then, second, Try to gather together long term kingdom citizens to be the local expression of the universal body of Christ uh, and that they will be missional in their context. We're hard pressed to find that approach. Uh, Rather, what we see is this understanding of churches being birthed out of the harvest and it begins really with uh, missionary teams or apostolic type teams. Uh, You know, a passage of scripture that comes to my mind that's helpful in, in understanding. Uh, what church planting is and uh, what it looks like, uh, kind of big picture, uh, is actually the section. The, excuse me, the section in the book of Acts that uh, that records Paul and Barnabas's first missionary journey. So, really, it's Acts chapter 13 and 14. After they're sent out from the church at Antioch, uh, you see them going into these different areas, these different communities, and as they go, the first thing they do when they go into a community is they do evangelism. And some people believe, and some people do not believe, and they are uh, run out of the of the community, and they go to the next community, and they do evangelism, and some people believe, and some people do not believe, and and they are persecuted again, and they they leave that community, they go to the next community, they do evangelism, and disciples are made, and and uh, some uh, people do not believe, and, and you know the persecution repeats itself. When you follow that first missionary journey, Acts chapter thirteen, Acts chapter fourteen. Somewhere along that way, somewhere along that journey, and you can follow this in the map section in your Bible, uh, they, they get to a point where they then turn around and they go back and they visit uh, those new disciples, those new believers. Uh, and at the end of Acts chapter 14, you have Luke uh, recording sort of a summary statement saying that they returned to Lystra and to Iconium, to Antioch. And as they go back, they strengthen the souls of the disciples. And obviously, if we had read through uh, Acts 13 and 14, that first missionary journey, we would have known that those disciples only came into existence based on the work of the team as they passed through those towns the first time doing evangelism, calling people to repentance and faith. Or as Paul would say, in Acts twenty 21, I've declared to both Jews and Gentiles repentance toward God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So they go back and they strengthen the souls of the disciples. And then it says something fascinating, and that is, and they appointed elders for them in every church. And so if we if we kind of follow along in the understanding of where churches come from. As we read through the Scriptures, we see uh, that uh, the elders that they appointed obviously came from the churches. Uh, The churches obviously came from the gathering together of the disciples in those communities, and then the disciples themselves came from the harvest as the team uh, began their work in this thing called church planting with evangelism. And, and so you get that big picture, high-altitude kind of picture in Acts 13 and 14, but then you get really this, um, this kind of ground-level uh, understanding when you turn to a passage, for example, like 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Uh, in the, uh, the first ten verses, uh, Paul uh, is writing to the Thessalonican church, and he's, he's sharing with them uh, a memory, and that is the memory of how the gospel came to them, and uh, how their faith has, has multiplied, how it's spread uh, rapidly, how it spread as an example to others uh, across other regions. And so I'm going to read uh, verses actually 2 through 10 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 uh, just to kind of uh, give us an idea of, of the simplicity of church planting, the simplicity of where churches come from, uh, and that is they come from the harvest. Again, I didn't say that it's easy ministry. I did not say that it is a ministry that uh, uh, is is absent of spiritual conflict and spiritual warfare. In fact, it's on the contrary. Uh, we're talking about the front lines of kingdom expansion. We're talking about incredible amounts of opposition, uh, incredible amounts of spiritual warfare. But yet, it's not complex. Uh, it's not. It's not. It's not difficult in the sense that we have to have. Uh, all kinds of cultural stuff if you will to use a good academic word uh, that oftentimes interferes interferes not only with the the birth of churches but also with uh, the church's sanctification their growth in christ and also uh, the the rapid dissemination of the gospel across the people group across the population segment and so um in light of that reality those global realities of lostness uh, when we make this thing called church planting uh, more complex more difficult based on our cultural preferences then we end up uh, not seeing lostness impacted with the gospel like it should be and so first Thessalonians chapter 1 verses 2 through 10 Paul writes or excuse me Paul, writes here, verse 2, We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now listen to what Paul says here about how, how this church came into existence. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that He has chosen you because our gospel came to you, not only in word, but also in power, and in the Holy Spirit, and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction, with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere." so that they need not say anything, for they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. So, when we begin to look at this this passage of Scripture, we really begin to see uh, the components, the ingredients, if you will, of what is necessary for a church to be planted. And they're very simple. You obviously have to have uh, people to bring the gospel to other people and the Spirit's work. And so to kind of summarize this in in, uh, alliterative form, as I heard uh, many years ago when I was listening to Uh, a church planter by the name of Charles Brock, teach on this text of Scripture. Uh, You need uh, sowers, you need seed, obviously the gospel message, you need the Holy Spirit, and you need Holy Spirit-prepared soil. And when those matters come together, you find out that uh, the people that hear... uh, come out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light, and therefore become disciples of Jesus. They become little Christ. They become Christians. They become uh, followers of the way. They become become his children. Uh, they become those that we read about here, uh, as Paul mentions, uh, saying that uh, uh, God shows uh, them uh, in in Christ. And so what then happens? Well, uh People come to faith, and they do become imitators of what they see, what they observe. They become imitators of what they hear and what they're exposed to. And so we imitate what we know, and we know what is modeled before us. And so Paul mentions here, you became imitators of us and of the Lord. And the result is that the example... Of their new life in Christ was set before other believers, and then the faith in their faith in God begins to ring forth. Uh, so we see this gospel message continuing, sounding forth in Macedonia and Achaia. In other words, two other provinces beginning to to hear uh, the gospel message as a result of what takes place in the lives of the Thessalonians. So. For me, as I talk about in, in this book, uh, the pathway to church planting, the pathway to planting, uh, really consists of four steps. And you really you see this really in this text, and you see it in uh, First Missionary Journey. You read about it and get examples of this when you look at uh, like Titus chapter 1, verse 5, the reason why Paul left Titus uh, in Crete. And so the pathway to planting consists of four steps. The, the first step is the gospel shared. The second step is disciples made, disciples made. The third step is church identified, church identified. And then the last step is uh, elders appointed, elders appointed. So the, the, the process uh, is, is one that begins in the harvest field, and then the disciples that come into existence need to understand what it means to be a follower of Jesus in covenant community with one another, as a local expression of his universal body, and they need their own pastoral leadership, and so so I talk about this in the book about the pathway to, to planting, and when you look at the apostle Paul, and the approach that he used, the pathway to planting that he used, uh, part of part of his conviction for what he did, uh, we read about in, in Romans chapter fifteen. Uh, in that passage around verses fourteen through twenty one, where he he talks about the, he has preached the gospel from um, Jerusalem all the way around to Lyricum, and there's no other place for him to to work. And he has this desire to to preach the gospel where there has not been a foundation laid, and he is moving on to the unreached. And, and so that's a strong conviction, that's a strong part of the apostolic church planting process. In other words, a desire to work among the unreached. Now, the reality, again, going back to global realities, the reality of what we're doing in the North American context in general, and the United States in particular, is that most of our church planting while we're wanting to be evangelistic while we are wanting to be missional uh, and share the gospel with people in our church planting efforts the, the reality is that most of our work is is among what we today define as reached people groups reached people groups we're, we're not we're not primarily working among unreached people groups living around us. And as I mentioned at the top of this podcast, they are, they are very much alive and very much uh, in, in large numbers uh, across uh, this country, across North America. And so we're not seeing uh, the people that I refer to as the strangers next door, and we have not grasped, we have not grasped the reality that the greatest need of the hour the greatest need of the hour in church planting is, is cross-cultural disciple-making that results in new churches, cross-cultural evangelization that results in new churches. And so that's critical in understanding apostolic church planting. The other thing that's important, I think, uh, to share with uh, you in this podcast related to this book is, uh, is my understanding of the church multiplication cycle. And uh, this is nothing new. I mean, there are others that have written about the church multiplication cycle, and they uh, have their, their variation on it, and it's basically the, 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 the notion, the cycle is basically the notion of what what happens before a team comes together and even gets to the field, and then what are the things that, in general, in general what are the things that happen over time before the church is planted, before the church has her own leadership, and then... Uh, the cycle repeats itself with the team beginning work elsewhere, and so for me with the uh, church planting cycle, uh, I you know, my variation of this is is broken down to help us understand the cycle in in the sense that there are there are stages, and in each stage uh, the team passes through planned role changes. In other words, what they are doing primarily uh, at the beginning of their work, uh, as people uh, have come to faith, they're going to shift into a different role. In other words, the role of the team uh, is never constant. It's always shifting, and that's a good thing. And with each role, there is a primary task involved so you have different stages in the church planning process you have different roles of team of the team uh, in the church planning process and depending on the role uh, there is a different task a different primary task that the team is involved in uh, so so for example uh, the the stages would be the pre-entry stage in other words what happens before the team arrives on the field uh, the entry stage uh, what happens as the team arrives and shortly after they arrive on the field then there is the gospel stage how they are involved in broadly sowing uh, the gospel seed uh, in holy spirit prepared soil uh, then there is the discipleship stage what are they what are they teaching the new believers about obedience to Jesus immediately after they come to faith, as well as then over the course of long-term. Uh, and then there is the, the church stage, whereby these new disciples are gathered together uh, to, to self-identify uh, as a baptized body of Christ followers on mission for him, living out his kingdom ethic. And then there is um, the notion of this cycle repeating itself, and so, at each of those stages—pre-entry and entry, gospel stage, discipleship stage, and church stage—the team goes through these planned role changes. Now, uh, you know, as I mentioned in the book, this is not a linear process. This is not something that's cut and dry. That's really, you know, very, very simple. First, you do this. Second, you do that. Third, you do this. But for for the purposes of getting a big picture understanding, for the purposes of of uh, of learning. Uh, what's going on it's mapped out i've mapped this out in in uh, in, in, a, in in kind of a linear process but as best as i could to kind of communicate this as something uh, that is not always that movement from point a to point b is something that's smooth and goes uh, very you know much from uh, left to right, if you will, moving forward. So, for example, uh, one of the – I'll, I'll just talk through just quickly the different uh, – the role changes. So so you have the teams really beginning uh, as, as learners. Now, the truth is they'll be learners throughout the whole time on the field, but uh, they primarily are learners before they get to the field. And then they become explorers where they're learning culture, they're learning language, they're learning where people hang out, where people eat, where they live, where they work. Uh, and, and then as soon as possible, as soon as possible, they're doing the work of evangelists. And so they, they find themselves in the evangelist uh, the, um, role, if you will. Uh, then as people come to faith, they're primarily involved in teaching those people. Of course, they're still doing the work of evangelists, but at the same time, they're spending more and more time teaching these new believers as these new believers are sharing the gospel with others in their social network. And then you have uh, the team transitioning into a developer stage, uh, or developer role, excuse me, where they are working with these new disciples to uh, come together to self-identify as uh, a local church. And then also in this period of time, they're working with this new congregation to have their own elders, to see their own elders appointed, Uh, and then they, as a team, would trans—excuse me—they would then transition— to be in the role primarily of mentor and partner, working with the team leaders, or excuse me, the the pastoral leaders of the church uh, as they continue their training and equipping and working through those leaders who are then equipping those churches. So if you begin to look at the primary task of the team uh, during each of their roles, uh, what you find is that when they're in the learner, learner role, they're primarily involved in developing their team and strategy. When they're in their explorer role, they're connecting with the people. Uh, in the evangelist role, they are making disciples through evangelism, of course. When they're in the teacher role, they're baptizing. They're leading the group to self-identify as a church. They're teaching doctrine. They're teaching people how to obey. Uh, as a developer, uh, they are working with this new church to appoint elders. And then as a mentor uh, and partner, they are training elders and they're partnering with them uh, for, for new work. And so when you put all of that together, when you put the, the stages together and you put the, the roles together and the primary tasks together, uh, you get the overall look at the, at the church multiplication cycle. Now, something that's very critical about my understanding of the church multiplication cycle is this concept that uh, Tom Steffen actually popularized in his book, Uh, Passing the Baton, that he describes as phase-out. And that's really the notion that, just as we see in the Scriptures of how Jesus prepared his disciples for his departure, Uh, and that he did not abandon them. He sent the Holy Spirit, uh, just as how Paul uh, transitioned out of one location with a local church that he had planted uh, to uh, beginning work elsewhere, Uh, yet he did not abandon them. He was going back to visit. He would send uh, uh, Timothy, Titus, and Epaphras. Uh, He would write a letter back to visit, or excuse me, a letter back to follow up with them. In other words, there, was, there wasn't there was this notion of uh, leaving them. They come to faith, and you just you just drop them, so to speak. But this notion of phase-out is this idea of everything that the team does before they even enter the field. So in the pre-entry stage, the team is thinking about their approach to phasing themselves out of that area among those people and partnering with them, quite possibly, to begin work elsewhere. Maybe that's down the street. Maybe that's across town. Maybe that's with a different people group in in the same city. But this notion of phase-out is something that's very critical and it's very much a part of the church planting cycle, the church multiplication cycle. So in this book, Apostolic Church Planting, I talk about plant the church that is, not the church to come. In other words, plant the church that the Spirit births, and then I'll teach that church, the whole counsel of God, and put that church on a healthy trajectory with God's word, with the Spirit, with her leadership, uh, with the team continuing to follow up and doing theological education with their leaders. Uh, that she would go through a sanctification process. That she's going to look differently. Uh, she's going to look. She's going to appear to be a different congregation five years, ten years, twenty years from now. But but don't plant the church that you would like for her to be 20 years from now, don't don't plant a church with 20 years of sanctification immediately. In other words, it's a process. It's a growth process. And so plant the church that is, not the church to come. Let the Spirit and the Word do the work in seeing that church mature over time. The other thing that I talk about in this book is plant the church that is and have high expectations. So even though uh, she is... Consisting of new believers uh, in the kingdom, uh, there still has to be a high level of expectation and accountability. Uh, just like we read about with the Apostle Paul, just like we see in his letters, as he would write back to these new believers, very much what we would see today as expectations. And those high expectations are are just the expectations of the Scripture. Scriptures record for what it means to be a a, a follower of Christ. And so not a high expectation that is heavily uh, encased in in cultural preferences and cultural yardsticks to measure progress, but but what the Scriptures have to say about what it means to be a follower of Christ. Those, uh, I would say, are high expectations when compared to a lot of cultural Christianity throughout the Western world today. So, just a good summary, good quick overview of uh, this book, Apostolic Church Planting, Birthing New Churches from New Believers with InterVarsity Press, uh, scheduled to be released, Lord willing, November of 2015. I hope you get a chance to uh, check out this book, that you will get a copy uh, of this, and that you will use it in your ministry. And uh, as I said at the top of this podcast, this is the last episode of season one of Strike the Match. It has been a great thirty-two weeks of being behind the microphone, uh, talking with you, and having interviews with other uh, leaders uh, on this uh, on this uh, podcast. And so, uh, Lord willing, I will uh, be back uh, with you in the um, in the near future uh, as we move into. Uh, season two of Strike the Match. I started this uh, season, season one, episode one, uh, back in March. I believe it was was March. March of this year, 2015. So uh, anyhow, uh, for those of you that uh, have not had a chance to uh, listen to all 32 episodes uh, between uh, now and season two. You now have uh, a chance to catch up on your listening. And by the way, uh, I do want to say again, thank you. Thank you so very much uh, for checking out this this podcast. Thank you for your, your gracious comments, your your wonderful comments, uh, uh, words of encouragement uh, that, uh, that you send via email or uh, uh, when I see you out in public. Uh, thank you so very much. And I hope that this uh, has been a blessing to you. Keep listening and keep sharing this uh, with others in your social network. And, and by all means, uh, walk closely with the Lord and continue to, to follow his leadership each day as uh, you continue to serve him uh, in the world that he has placed us in. Take care. You have been listening to Strike the Match with J.B. Payne. You can find J.B. on Facebook or follow him on Twitter at J.B. underscore Payne. And if you'd like to check out more books, posts, and podcast episodes, visit J.B. You can also subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, and we'd be honored if you would consider rating us or leaving comments. Thanks again for tuning in. We hope you'll join us next time.